0: Okay, let's open to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. All summer we've been looking at holiness and various aspects of it and how to get it, how to keep it, and this is uh, really our last shot at it. And <laughs> This is the last chance you have for holiness. You better get it right. Okay. <laughs> like uh, I think it was Martin Luther came out and and, you know at at that in that time when Martin Luther was was preaching he would uh, have to preach every day and sometimes more than once a day and and at the third day he he had preached the same sermon three days in a row and someone came up to him and said Dr. Luther why did you preach the sermon three days in a row he said well when you when you get it and start living it I'll go on to something else so I I don't know if you felt like we've been beating holiness to death all summer Um, it's, it's one of those things that that takes time to work out in our lives and it takes practice and today we're going to find out it takes self-discipline it takes self-control to live a holy life to live a life that is not devoted it's easy to live a life devoted to the things of this world takes no effort at all I mean that's where the stream is going just get on and go with it but to live holy you got to go against the flow so many times so it can be very, very difficult. So we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you're able, would you stand with me as I read the word of God? (laughs) Heavenly Father, send your spirit down to open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts, focus our attention upon your word that we would drink it in, that we would feast upon it, and Lord, that we would live it. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Now I'm going to go back and and start in uh, verse 19 and we'll read through the end of the uh, chapter. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I may by all means save some. Now not that Paul was going to save anybody, but that he could communicate the saving message of Christ. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that Those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and make it my slave. Lest possibly after I have preached to others... I myself should be disqualified. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, as we read in in the New Testament and and even through the Old Testament, there's no question that salvation is by grace alone. Okay, it's not by our efforts. Uh, It is totally by the work of God. Uh, For by grace you've been saved by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3 says we've been declared righteous by the Lord. We have received we, The righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us. Um, the, the Lord draws us unto himself. It is by grace that we are saved. Now, we're, we're justified, we're saved. But it's after that that all this really comes into play, this, this, this portion of self-discipline, this portion of beating our body here as Paul uh, makes the illustration um, the athletic illustration of here. The word calls us to live lives of holiness and to do that, we have to be self-disciplined. We have to be self-disciplined. Now, that comes easier to some of us than others of us, whether it's our personalities, whether it's the way that we were raised. Uh, some people just, it's just easy to be self-disciplined. They find it, it comes, oh, yeah, well, to do this and do it in an orderly fashion and to be wise with your time and all that. And other people... Uh, I don't know. We're just, we're just not. How about that? Okay? We're, just, we're just not that self-disciplined. If I went to your desk or, or uh, someplace where you were going to be all day and I put 10 M&Ms across the top of the desk, how long would they stay there? Okay? Now, now, I don't want you to go, well, I don't like M&M's. They could stay there all day, okay? Just think about that. Well, there'd be about 20 seconds of, of decision in my world, and then they would be gone, and then I'd have a raging headache okay, after 10 M&M's. There was a Secretary of State, and I don't know whether he was under Carter or, or Clinton, but he would line up 10 M&M's on his desk in the morning. And at the last minute of every hour, he would take, and take one M&M and eat it. And then he would work for the next hour. And at the last minute of that hour, he would go to the next M&M and he would eat it. I mean, all day. Is that disciplined or is that just crazy? (laughs) I, I, I don't know, okay? Well, Paul here is addressing the Christian life and how we are to live it. And he comes out of the context of a discussion on Christian liberty, Okay? Um, And primarily concerning food and whether you can eat food offered to idols. Now, food offered to idols, we don't even give that a second thought. I mean, we go down to meat offered to idols. We go down to Star Market, we buy a steak, we grill it, we eat it, we think, oh, this was good. Okay? But in, in the New Testament time, there was a very different thought because they were coming out of these pagan rituals and often meat was taken as it was butchered or once it was butchered it was then placed before this pagan altar and offered to this pagan god and then it was taken to the marketplace and sold. Now uh, how do you tell if meat has been offered to idols? It's not like they had the USDA stamp on it and had an idol stamp or something like that but you could go and you could ask the, the butcher or the person in the marketplace was this meat offered to idols. And maybe you as a believer, you really didn't care because you went, well, an idol is nothing. It's just a hunk of stone. Why should I be concerned whether this meat was placed before it? And you go and you buy it and you take it home and you, you cook it and you invite some friends over who are, who are from church. And the friends come over and go, was that meat offered to idols? And, and the, the question that Paul is dealing with here is, it doesn't bother you, but it might be a stumbling block to them. So even though you had this liberty because meat offered to idols is, is nothing, but if it bothers a believer who's not at the same place as you, then you need to be careful about how you um, how you go about that and, and you can take that into any uh, thing today. We, we, you may uh, if you serve wine at dinner at your house, a believer comes who, who has a problem with that you might not do that. I mean I've told the story of uh, you know growing up on the golf course and, and people who would you know, slit your throat on the golf course for a dollar bet and, uh, you know, if, if, if you didn't do it just right, then they, they were just having a hemorrhage over uh, all kinds of things, all for a buck, um, you know, so I just never bet a buck with those people anymore because it was a danger to them, okay, it was t- tearing them down. Well, <clears throat> here in this area, the Christian, this is kind of a gray area for the Christian, between right and wrong, where the Christian has the freedom to do things but he has to guide whether he does them or not by the fact of how will it will affect somebody else okay I can do this but my guide is how will it affect somebody else and ultimately specifically concerning his Christian witness we might look and say well uh, uh, I don't know men today how do you uh, how do you spend your free time is it productive or is it not productive Uh, Are you, uh, you know, how do you go about and structure your life? Are you workaholics or are you not? Do you spend all your time doing this and not this? Ladies, we might look and say, uh, well, you're free to wear certain clothes, but does that serve the cause of Christ? Does that run, uh, does that cause other people around you to take their eyes away from the Lord and put them on you because of the way that you dress? There's all kinds of applications today. You're free to do those things. Do they serve the cause of Christ? So basically there are two issues in in Christian liberty that will limit your liberty. They are self-control and self-denial. And they're pretty much the same. I have the liberty to do that. I have the freedom to do that. Does it serve the cause of Christ? If it doesn't, I must exercise self-discipline or self-control. That's what we're going to deal with today. Not self-denial, but self-control. So self-control may be part, may be the single most hated part of the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? Uh, Because it's randy control. We would love it if it was God control and we could blame it on God. Well, God didn't limit me here. He didn't not make me do it. God God says don't do it. Or he says put this limit on yourself and it is up to me to exercise that. So it really is self-control. I know what I'm supposed to do. Do I really want to do that? Let's look at verse 24 here. I mean, it, it's impossible to move to remove self from this equation. I can't blame it on anybody else. It is self-control. The Spirit gives us the ability and the power to do it. Will I exercise that? Okay, verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may win." Now Paul is not talking about those of us who may go, oh, this is, you know, they have really cool shirts at the turkey trot and I want to run in that, so I train for the week ahead and I walk, run, slash, and get my 5K in or whatever it is, so I get the cool shirt. I was at the wellness center a while back and I have this shirt that has the Rhode Island Marathon. It's a Rhode Island Marathon shirt. On it, and a guy came up to me and said, Did you run in that? Because I ran in that one year. And I said, No, this is from Unclaimed Baggage. Okay, I pay two bucks for this. I don't run those. Okay, Paul is not talking about that kind of, oh, let's run and get the cool shirt type of race. He is talking to an audience who understands what it means to train because he's talking to the Corinthians, and the Isthmian Games were there every third year. They were the games that were right next to importance of the Olympic Games. And for those who wanted to run in the Isthmian Games, it was a grueling process. Let me give you just the facts of this. So in order to get into the Isthmian Games, an athlete had to give proof of 10 months of training, and the last 30 days before the events, all those who wanted to come and compete there came into the community lived in the community had to train in the gymnasium every single day and only when all those conditions were filled could they run in the race so they had to prove that they had devoted themselves and conditioned their bodies and disciplined themselves they had to prove all that so that they could run in the race and the winner of the games what's he get verse 25 Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And the Isthmian games in particular, had, had the wreath is known, it was made of pine. So, you know, they would make this wreath out of pine and place it on the winner's head. And that was basically the highest honor that that person could receive as an athlete was this pine wreath. Now, our, our athletes um, in the Olympics train and they shoot for the gold medal. Now, the Stockholm uh, Olympics in 1912 was the last year that they actually received a gold medal. Okay? Every medal since then has been mostly sterling silver, which is plated with gold. And I wondered, what, well, what is that gold medal worth? Not talking about endorsements and advertisements, but just its physical worth. Uh, August first as of August first, twenty twelve, the Olympic gold medal was worth six hundred and twenty dollars okay? because of its metal weight. It's metal weight. Now, Paul is saying people will train and people will discipline themselves and people will go to extraordinary efforts in order to get this piece of pine that they put on their heads. But we have an imperishable prize. What efforts are we willing to go to? And Paul is very clear about this. At the end of verse 25, um, or end of verse 24, run in such a way that you may win. He doesn't say run just to get the shirt. He doesn't say run so you competed. I, I ran in one 5K race, and I was ninth in my age group, okay, and when I came up, you know, you, you run through the woods and things, and when you come up, there's this last 200 yards where you're in public view, and somebody who, who was very nice said, that, that's the slowest I've ever seen anybody run that long, that length of distance, and I said, I, I thought I was sprinting because I was all used up by that time okay no. when you run the Christian race you are there to win okay finishing is not what is not our goal it is to win in the Christian race well how do you do that and Paul says in verse 25 very clearly exercise self-control in all things you must exercise self-control in all things for an athlete to be able to run 100 meters in less than 10 seconds they have to train they have first you have to have certain physical gifts and skills i am not a sprinter okay but you have to train you have to have a careful diet. You have to lift weights on a regular basis. You have to have regular sleep patterns. You cannot go, in a sense, off the wagon and eat an entire box of Twinkies the week before the race. Okay? Those will destroy your, uh, the balance in your body and all those things. Let's look at something else. When Robert plays for a wedding, okay, you do not pay for the 20 minutes of prelude and the wedding march and the 10 minutes of postlude. You, pray for, you pay for the 30 years of practice that enabled him to play at such a high level for those 30 minutes. Now, if, if you're at the wedding, and here and I, Robert's playing the wedding, and I'm going to play a trumpet voluntary, okay? And a big wind comes and blows the music off of Robert's stand. Do you know what he does? He just continues to play, because he's a professional. If the music blows off my stand, I take it as a sign that God doesn't want me to play. Okay, that's very clear to me, okay? Uh, that's just the way it is. (laughs) (laughs) Self-discipline means you you have to ignore the aches and the pains. You have to ignore all those nagging little things uh, that that you get while you are training, while you are practicing hours and hours and hours. Now, in Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Outliers, he speaks of what has been affectionately known as the 10,000-hour rule, and there's some debate about this, but the 10,000-hour rule says that those who reach the highest b- platform, the highest level of excellence have devoted at least 10,000 hours to practicing. So let's take it to a musical instrument like the violin. You want to practice 10,000 hours hopefully before you are 20 if you want to be a professional in that venue. Okay. Now, you can start doing the, the math and, and practice for an hour each day. There's 365 days, so it's 365 hours. How long does it take you to get to 10,000 hours over the course of that time? You have to devote yourself to it. Okay. Now, if you want to be the soloist in the symphony, you have to practice even more. Now, there are, there are physical gifts that come and dexterity and all those things that are needed to add to that but you don't get there unless you practice. And there seems to be some magical amount of time that if you don't get to that level of practice, you're never really going to move on. Okay, You're never going to really move on. Now, when was the last time that you did something for an hour uninterrupted? Uh, I don't mean watch SEC football. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean some, some discipline, something that you did. If you have a... Um, You know, I I cannot practice the cello uninterrupted for an hour. My, My hands simply do not have that ability yet because you have to build up. It's like, well, go out and run for an hour nonstop. I drive the car for an hour. I can't run for an hour, okay? It takes time to build up to that. Well, notice what he says further. He says, we do this to obtain a perishable wreath. And as I said, it was a pine wreath But we, and he's talking about believers, we do it to obtain something that is imperishable. 1 Peter says our inheritance is incorruptible. It is undefiled. It does not fade away. It is a crown that the Lord is going to give us. And the way we win it is by demonstrating the things of Christ. He has already grabbed hold of us. We have not obtained all of it yet, not until we stand before him. So we have to demonstrate these things, the things of Christ in our lives doing so by being self-controlled by setting the goal and achieving the goal if a man can submit to such discipline to win a pine wreath on his head shouldn't we able be able to submit to such self-discipline to receive something that can never fade something that is imperishable what is self-discipline two definitions one is a secular definition and that's the first one Self-discipline is the ability to regulate one's conduct by principle and sound judgment rather than impulse, desire, or social custom. Okay? To regulate one's conduct by principle and sound judgment rather than impulse, desire, or social custom. Some of you will know Kipling's poem, If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you but make allowance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give away to hating, and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise, if you can walk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings nor lose common touch, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, In which is more, you will be a man, my son. So that's kind of the secular view. If you can control your impulses, that's what self-discipline is. Biblically speaking, self-discipline is obedience. Obedience to the word of God. Now you have to control your impulses. You can't be ruled by emotion because sometimes scripture says do this and we look at it. God don't want to do that. And he says this is how you are to live and you look at the world around you and say nobody else lives that way. Why do I have to live that way? Because this is what God says. Verse 26. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I don't run aimlessly. I have a purpose and I have this goal. So there's the positive. I have this goal and the negative. So I fight not in such a way as not beating the air. Okay? You yeah, fight with a purpose. I'm not just out there shadow boxing, not hitting anything. I'm going to hit my body. Why? Because my body has to be tough. If I want to run the 5K and I want to win the 5K, I've got to go out and basically abuse my body for a certain period of time to make it harder to make it tougher so that I can run faster and longer so that I may demonstrate a greater amount of of discipline in my body I have to pound my body I have to keep it under control Paul says basically in other places you have to kill the flesh he uses the word mortify you have to mortify the flesh An athlete knows how to subdue his body. He has mental toughness. He knows what his goal is. Paul says, my mind is set. I know where the bounds of life are. He says, I know where the goal is. I know exactly where I'm going. And then he says, I subject my body to a discipline so that I may get there. So that I may get there. Worldly lusts and passions and the flesh and whatever we have to do, those things want to rob that crown from us. Paul says, get that body in submission. Make it your slave. We look around at other places. Hebrews chapter 12 says, you've got this great cloud of witnesses before you of those who have run the race and those who have kept the faith and those who have won. And Paul puts this in at the end. He says, I do this. I buffet my body. I make it my slave. Lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul's concern, you can't lose his salvation. I mean, that's because it's by grace, and God grabs a hold of us, and he doesn't let us go. But there are times that we can fail. There are times to say, I disciplined my body, and then we show up short. You know, we don't demonstrate the things of Christ in the way that we should, and Paul is concerned about this. He says, I never want this to happen, that the guy I give the truth to has to turn around and say, Randy, you've fallen short here. You are not serious about this. You're not self-disciplined in these things. Okay, here we are. We're going to live self-disciplined lives, right? uh, How do we live self-disciplined lives? I have ten things for you. I usually don't have lists like this, but I thought, well, it's one thing to say, let's live self-disciplined lives. Well, how do I live a self-disciplined life? Number one, start with the small things. Go and clean your room if you're a teenager, okay? If your room is already great, great. That's fabulous. Start with the small things. Clean your room. Clean your desk. Create some orderliness in your world. By doing small things, you are preparing yourself for the larger things, okay? I always remembered, uh, well, I always thought that every teenager should spend some time working a dairy farm or a farm of some sort, because you learn to do things right. You learn to do everything, because if you don't do everything, you have to come back and fix it later, okay? You have to do the small things, because if you don't close the fence, there are going to be 100 cows out on the road, okay? And then you just have to spend all day chasing them down, okay? Do the small things. There are no small issues of integrity. There are no small issues of integrity, What's uh, the Shakespeare? I think it's Shakespeare. Uh, for want of a nail, a shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, a horse was lost. For want of a horse, a battle was lost. For want of a battle, a kingdom was lost. All for want of a nail. Do the small things. That's the first way. The second way would be get organized. Know what you need to do? Do what you need to do. Okay? Those are pretty, pretty straightforward and, and, and simple. Third, do not constantly seek entertainment. Do not constantly seek entertainment. Entertainment does not really produce for us. Yes, it, it takes our mind away from some of the stresses of the world. But if we constantly seek to be entertained, we will be less productive and therefore less self-discipline. Read when you have a chance. Walk. Write a note to somebody. Okay? Call someone that you need to. You know, so often we want to, yeah, I've got this whole list of things to do. Well, I'll get to those. Do them now. Do them now. Things that have no value other than entertainment make a very small contribution to our well-being. Okay? I don't mean to, you don't have to be workaholic. You just have to decide how much entertainment is good and relaxing, how much entertainment is a lack of self-discipline. Number four, be punctual. How many of us have a problem with punctuality? How many, people, how many of the people that we sit next to have a problem with punctuality? Okay. Uh, Benjamin Franklin said, Do not squander time, for that is the stuff life is made of. Constant lateness is a sign of a lack of self discipline. Now, how do we illustrate lateness? Unfortunately, the way to illustrate lateness is to go to famous people, because famous people have schedules, and often their schedules are published about when they're going to be there when they're going to start when they're going to finish things like that so the most famous person with a schedule of course is the president of the united states because his schedule is published regularly okay um so i don't mean to pick on him but it's it's easy you, you got a, a public schedule this is what you're supposed to do so every time the president gives prepared remarks they're posted on the white house website and their time stamp that means they give the starting time and then afterwards they go back and list the time it actually started so as an example uh, he spoke at a US African leaders summit he started at 1017 the remarks were supposed to begin at 10 o'clock in the morning so there he was 17 minutes late now this is all through the Washington Post they did all this um, uh, research for me uh, so, in all the events of 2014, uh, they calculated all the ones that were time stamped for a regular when it was supposed to start and when it actually did start. So, uh, in all the times up until August 1st of 2014, over a cumulative amount, the president was 2,121 minutes late to events. That's 35 hours and 21 minutes, almost a day and a half late. Uh, or an average of now that's a lot of events so it's an average of 11 minutes per event of being late you know sometimes there are presidential emergencies you got to go and deal with stuff or you know people a lot of people want your time but it's 11 minutes late to on average to everything he's not the only one the mayor of new york uh, even before he was elected was famous for his lack of punctuality in his state of the city address which is you know, the most important address that a mayor is going to give, it, it's like the State of the Union address of the President. He was 20 minutes late to that s- speech. Now <clears throat> I live in Madison and when you come down Sullivan Street in the middle of Madison you run into train tracks and they're active train tracks and often a train will be sitting there because if it's a long train it, it will go all the way, it'll go a long way, okay. So I might have to sit there for 20 minutes. Now, if on a Sunday morning I don't show up for 20 minutes and I come and I tell you, well, there was a train there and, and there's just no place to go, you'll go, oh, okay, that's one thing. But if I don't show up to a quarter to 11 in this up here every Sunday, well, you might think I have other priorities. You might think that I'm not self-disciplined. You might think I really don't care about your time because my time is so much more important. Self-discipline. You must be punctual. Okay, You must be punctual. Um, Number five, keep your word. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. So therefore you need to be careful what you commit to. Yes, I'll be there. I I said I would be there. I have to be there. And when do you have to be there? On time. (laughs) Number six, uh, do the most difficult task first. I know some of these sound different, but this is how you develop and cultivate self-discipline. What's most difficult? Do it first. Number seven, finish what you start. Number eight, accept correction. Ooh, accept correction. That can be hard. But take it as a means to examine yourself and to grow. Proverbs 19, verse 20. Proverbs 15, verses 31, 32. Number nine, Practice self denial. Practice self denial. Learn to say no to your feelings or your impulses. Okay. Now you know this is—you uh, come home, and uh, you're you know there's a there's a giant chocolate cake there waiting for you for dessert. Pass on dessert that night. It'll probably still be there the next day. But pass on dessert, you know, stare that chocolate cake down. Look at it, smell it, and go, I'm not going to have you today, and walk away, okay? Stare it down. Control your appetites. Consciously do, don't do do something you love to do or is not productive, okay? Fast. Scripture is full of fasting and praying. Those two go together all the time. You've heard of the phrase, a blanket victory? doesn't mean what you think it means, A blanket victory is not victory over all things. It's the ability to get out of bed in the morning at the right time. Okay, so if you if you are snooze and snooze, you know you reach a time where you don't need the alarm clock. I remember when I started waking up without the alarm. You know, I thought I must be old now because I don't need the alarm. Okay, and then some people never hear the alarm. It goes off. Grace, God lover is that way. the the alarm could, uh, everybody in the house is up, but Grace was not up and the alarm is right beside her and it's going off. She doesn't hear it. Victory over the blanket, okay? You've got to have there, you've got to start and get out of bed. It means you've got to pursue the necessary things of the day. The first thing is victory over the bed. Number ten, welcome responsibility. Welcome it, okay? Go out and even seek it if possible. Uh, Even in the little things, do those little things. Next Saturday, we're going to be at Lincoln next Saturday, right? Okay, from 9 to 11, we'll be at at Lincoln Village at the school. Come and scrub some toilets, okay? You think, oh, is this a good advertisement? It, It develops self discipline Sweep, scrub toilets, move stuff. Do things for people where you gain no recognition, where you garner no recognition for doing those things. Okay, we always have a lot of fun, but we get things done in the same time. Okay? Now, that's just a list of practical things. There's no great deep spiritual principles there, but they are outgrowths of what is here. Okay? If we desire holiness, if we desire the things of Christ, then we will live self-disciplined lives. We can't separate our lives in the secular and the spiritual. We live all things in the spiritual. And perhaps the most important thing of all the things that cultivate self-discipline in our lives, they're seen in the mundane things. Okay? When nobody else is watching, are you self-disciplined? When nobody else is watching, are you holy? I mean, there's one thing to be in front of people and to demonstrate holiness. There's another thing to be by yourself and to do it. And that's what the believer is called to do. No matter when we have that chance, no matter where we are, faithfulness in the little things will develop and lead to faithfulness in the bigger things. So let's pray. Lord, what, what an opportunity you have for us to know the blessings of holiness. Now, some of those blessings are hard, but they're blessings nonetheless. Sometimes to, to mortify the flesh, sometimes to get this body under control, we have to do some very difficult things. But yet, as believers, we run to win. We don't want to cross the finish line and go, I just made it into heaven. We want to win the race. We want to demonstrate the things of Christ in our lives in all areas. And that will take work and that will take self-discipline. Sometimes it will take self-denial. Sometimes the world will look at us and think we're strange, not understand what we're doing. But it is not our goal to please the world. We live for you and for the things of Christ. Come upon us, Lord, that we might live these in all areas of our lives. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.